Well, good morning. Oh, there you guys are. Okay. Lights came in. You guys were not there. It was, you were all dark. Well, happy 4th of July Sunday, anyways. 4th of July is coming up, right? We've got a part. John's excited about it, so that's good. Uh, we've got our party, which is tomorrow for Tuesday, but it's tomorrow at the Kiowa's house, so I got that wrong in the first service. Um, but just really encourage you, especially if you're a kind of a recent attender, um, and you kind of just know what you know by coming on Sunday, there'll be a great opportunity for you to come and be a part of that, uh, enjoy some uh, good time with the rest of the church family, some good food, watch the fireworks, and um, <clears throat> just pray that the, the rain um, stops. They're right on the river, so we don't want to you know, all be sitting in boats. Uh, I, I told... He just needs to put, Jeff needs to put a huge, like, pontoon deck, and we'll all go sit out on the river, Um, all 80 of us, which would be kind of interesting. Um, I was really preaching hard at the 9 o'clock service, so for some reason my throat's all frogged up. It probably has something to do with the weather. Anyways, well, so July 4th, right, the, the founding of our country, and our founders something very extreme. They were uh, trying something that had never been done before. They were going to form a country that was not led by a dictator or led by a king or a queen, but it was led by the people themselves, that they were going to allow the people to have the power to elect the people that they wanted to have in power, and they wanted the people to be able to live the life that they wanted to live. Of course, initially it started out on on biblical principles, Um, but here we are, 247 years later, which, by the way, is a very, very young country compared to other countries around the world, 247 years later, and we are that nation, right? We're a nation of people who are living life however they want to live. They're electing the people who they want to have in power that allows them to live However they live, and I'm about to say a couple things, I just want to give a little precursor. I am not here bashing people. I am not, that's not my responsibility. I'm not giving you guys ammunition to bash people. I just want to give us a perspective of where we're at and and what that means for us, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Those who base our lives on the principles of Scripture like the nation was initially based on. We just came through Pride Month, and it was interesting, if you're watching the news, um, that there was a lot of things going on that, when we look at what the Bible says, how life should be lived, that wasn't happening, even right in our streets, um, you know, with the drag, drag queen, you know, reading to kids, we've got um, kids going to drag queen shows, we've got Pride parades where people are not even clothed, going through the streets, right in front of kids. <clears throat> There's a report of guys riding their bikes, naked, celebrating. Everybody can live how everybody wants to live. And they're celebrating that in our streets. And it's, it's actually, people are now saying children should be surgically disfigured to, to become the, child, the gender that they think they should be. And um, We've got people walking through the streets, Chanting, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children, <clears throat> with children in attendance. That's not to mention the crime 
issue that we have going on in our country today. The people, the cops who don't even want to do anything for fear of getting themselves getting charged. We've got murder at a high rate. We've got suicides at a high rate. <clears throat> and it's not just because people are against what those people are doing, because everybody's supporting people. And still we have suicide as a high rate. We have media that's silencing the critics of these things. We've got politicians saying that those who are critics of these things are, are haters, the hate speech. They have politicians writing laws to make it illegal for people who are critics of this lifestyle and things that they're doing <clears throat> and making it something um, that we can't say is wrong. Um, and I'm only saying this to, to make this point or to ask this question. You who have placed your faith in Christ and you who say you want to live life based on what the Bible teaches, do you feel like the culture is crushing in? Like what we believe is, is kind of pushed out of the way and it's becoming extreme in this world. If not, then either you're not informed, which there are a lot of Christians who are not, or you're naive, which there are a lot of Christians who are naive, um, or you just got your head stuck in the sand. Um, you know it, you see it. But whether we know it or see it or whether we like it or not, biblical beliefs this lifestyle that God wants us to live is becoming extreme and it's going to continue doing that. And We're being slowly but surely crushed under the weight of our society. And it doesn't matter who's president, it doesn't matter who's um, in the House of Representatives or the Senate or anything else. It's happening. Do you believe that God, when he says that this is supposed to happen, I mean, the book of Revelation is a book that's showing for us, and again, John is trying to express to us in ways he hasn't, he's never seen what he's seeing, of course, in the future, which is in our future. But it's all about, hey, listen, this world continues to progress downward. This world continues to, basically as it rejects Jesus Christ, it begins to just continue to moralistically and and just people's lives continues to be destroyed. And if you look at any country, any, any culture that rejects Jesus Christ, that's what happens. But are you preparing yourself now, emotionally and spiritually, for what's coming down the pike? Because again, it's, gonna come, it's coming. It's here. It's already in front of us if we're opening our eyes to it. And then will you respond in a Christ-like way? in a way that makes a spiritual impact in the lives of those in your life who are testing that lifestyle out and wondering if that's the lifestyle for them? And will you, will you seek to make that spiritual impact? Say, no, that's not what God wants for you. He's got so much better for you than doing those kinds of things. Or will you react with retaliation, locking and loading? This is the, the challenge for the church at Smyrna. You can turn to Revelation chapter 2 and we're going to go through 8 through 11, and, not, and it's only four verses, I get it, but you're going to get a long message today, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll be done by three, so um, if you've got a door dash, you may want to make that happen during the message today, and get your lunch uh, delivered. Uh, it's page 1226, if you're using the Bible there uh, in, the, in the chairs. Smyrna is the only church that Jesus doesn't bring up some um, sin that was going on in the church, or some false teaching that was going on in the church. This church was faithful 
uh, in the sense that they were doing life the way Jesus said to do it in the face of a, of a world much like our own. And not only that, but because they were living that way, they were experiencing tribulation. They were experiencing the loss of finances. They were experiencing people lying about them, slandering them, telling untruths. And as I look at it, the churches, and the, the seven churches that we're going to be looking at, I kind of see us, Grace Point, as maybe the church from Smyrna. I like the name of that. Smyrna. Um, it's probably more like Smyrna, but I was like, Smyrna. But we're more like that church. And it says, you know, I don't, I don't see any grotesque sin. I mean, we, or no, none of us are perfect, but, you know, there's no grotesque sin that we're having to work through or that we're buying into. Um, I like to think we're teaching the Bible accurately. I mean, after all, I'm the one doing it, and Jason's teaching, and the rest of the guys who teach, and, you know, I, I think we're doing that well. But we're in this time where we're feeling the pressure from society to not do life the way God's called us to do it, to face harassment, to face ridicule, uh, to face even some per- political uh, implications and even some legal issues. So let me just give you some background here on Smyrna. Um, keep going. There you go. There you go. So the city of Smyrna. Uh, it's named after a sap from balsam tree, which is called Smyrna, <laughs> um, which is kind of cool. Um, it's actually, the sap was used in uh, perfumes. Um, you've heard of frankincense and myrrh, right? They presented it to Jesus uh, when he was a baby. So that myrrh, that perfume type of thing, it's a nice smelling thing, but it ca- you have to crush it. You take the sap and you just crush it up. It lets out this really nice scent. And so it was put in ointments and perfumes and stuff like that. Um, and so therefore, the name of the city is Smyrna, which is interesting because the Christians that we'll be talking about, they're the ones being crushed by society. Uh, they've got tribulation. They've got issues happening, even though they're faithful to Jesus Christ. Uh, it rivaled Ephesus. We talked about that last week, um, that city. And it rivaled them in, in power, beauty, and influence. There was a big competition between the two cities to try to be the best in the Roman uh, Empire. It had temples to all the Roman and Greek gods and goddesses. This place was just filled. It's, you know, here there's a church and a bar on every corner. Well, there was a, you know, a temple on, on every corner. Um, and, and I only say that to say this, because sometimes I think we look back on, on the Bible and, be, and it's kind of like, yeah, well, you know, they, were, they weren't as highly educated as we were. You know, they, they didn't, uh, um, you know, they weren't as good as we are, that kind of thing. But here's the deal. The people that lived back in the first century, they may not have had cars, they may not have had Facebook and all kinds of stuff, but they had the very same lifestyle that we have in the sense of lying going on, cheating going on, uh, violence going on, uh, sexual immorality, all kinds of it going on in that world. The first century was just as bad as the 21st century. They just didn't have the cars, they didn't have the um, social media, they didn't have all that kind of stuff. It, it all centered around their gods. And it was kind of interesting because what they would do is they wanted to live that lifestyle, but they also, because it was a world, like their entire world was spiritual. We don't have so much spirituality today in the United States. Um, they, I think it was spiritual to them. And so they just attributed everything to gods. And so what they did is they created gods, they defined gods that allowed them to do what they wanted to do, and then that made them what they're doing to be okay. And so if you did any study on Roman mythology, Greek mythology, Norse mythology, whatever the different gods were, 
you'd see that the gods were acting just like humans. They were having sex with other gods. They were killing other people. They were having sex with humans. They were killing humans, lying, cheating, all, all the stuff that humans were doing, the gods were doing. And they were saying, well, the God said that for me to do it, so that's why I'm doing it. Today, we don't have that so much. In fact, we're God. We, we decide what we're supposed to do. That's why the world's in the mess that it's in. Because an individual person says, this is who I am, and then you have to accept me for who I am. Even if everybody's looking at that person saying, no, what you're, I know you think you're that way, but physically, in actuality, you're not. But because we've made everybody the God of their life, that's what, what they believe is what's true, and everybody's supposed to accept that. Now, there's others who want to keep God in the equation. And so they, they take God words, Bible words, and they just change them to fit what it is that they want to do. In fact, there's, there's a great uh, video here I'm going to show you. This is the Sparkle Creed. Um, a church I invite in, you to rise in body or spirit. You don't and have to. And let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the ace quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love, so beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief, Amen. So if, if the God of the Bible doesn't fit what you want, but you want a God, then you just take words that sound churchy, that sound religious-y, and you reform them so that you can have the God that you want. Now this was written by, uh, that wasn't the lady who wrote it, but there's a, a lady who wrote it. She was a UCC minister. Um, this was actually at a Lutheran church up in Edina, Minnesota. Um, and the lady who wrote it, I'll just give you a real quick backstory. The lady who wrote it was going to a conference and she wanted something like the Apostles' Creed um, in order to be read, but now modernized, of course, to bring in what's true according to her. And so she, she was doing voice to text or whatever, you know, uh, voice to notepad, whatever she was doing. But she said, Apostles' Creed, and the phone wrote, Sparkle Creed. So she said, why not? Let's just use Sparkle Creed. You know, Siri wants it Sparkle Creed, so we're going to make it Sparkle Creed. Anyways, point being, even those that are called Christian don't like what the Bible says about how we're supposed to do life, and so then they just redefine God in their image and what they want. But these believers in Smyrna, they're not doing that. They are doing what God's called them to do. They are being true followers of Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus says to them. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back. I missed a couple points. This is kind of important. So we don't know who, uh, sure who started. We think the Apostle Paul started it. Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna, he was martyred there in Smyrna in 155. So it kind of shows where the condition of that city was at. Polycarp was a disciple of John, the, um, Apostle John, who uh, wrote this. Um, and they, during the public games, there's a huge. They were well known for these public games. And so during one of their public games, they started chanting for Polycarp to be arrested and killed. And so they immediately went and got him. The Jews at the time, uh, they broke the Sabbath. You know, they were real big on the Sabbath when it came to Jesus. But in this case, they broke the Sabbath, went and got all the wood for him, and they put it around Polycarp, and then they lit the wood on fire, and Polycarp was burned at the stake. But he says this before he dies. He says, 86 years I have served him, speaking of Jesus, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Um, And so, again, Polycarp, does uh, you know he stood for what God calls him and stood and it cost him his life, uh, which none of us at this point are having that issue. Anyways, so this is what Jesus says to them. And to the angel or the pastor of the church in Smyrna, write, the first and the last, Jesus is the eternal God, who was dead and has come to life, speaks to his humanity and victory over sin and death, says this, I know your tribulation or affliction from the outside source and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Yikes. Uh, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Now, why is Jesus allowing this? Again, if, if you're reading things and you're kind of having it go in your head and thinking about it, Jesus is allowing this to happen. All right? This, this, Jesus is like, yeah, we're going to let this happen. So why? Well, so that you will be tested and you'll have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the, the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear, and has the idea of obey, what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And so we're going to break this down and get an understanding of what he's talking about here. But first of all, he, he gives a description of himself. And again, each of the churches gets a different description of who Jesus is. In this case, the first and last, it speaks to the fact that Jesus is God. He, it's the deity of God. He's the eternal God. The only other time this title is used is in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And so what John is doing is he's tying in that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Jesus, God the Son. They are one. There's a lot of people who say, well, the God of the Old Testament, he's a, a mean God. And then the God of the New Testament, he's a loving God. Love, love, love is love. And so Jesus is love. And so therefore, worship love because love is Christ. No, it's the same God. And by the way, we're going to see at the end of Revelation that Jesus, the God of love, is also a just God. And he punishes people who reject him and continue on in their sin. And so as God, he's the one who created. We've talked a lot about that. He's the one who is in current control. He knows what's going on. He's got a plan. He's working his plan. And he's the God who's going to bring it all together. He's going to complete it. And again, that's what the book of Revelation is. It's giving us an idea of what it's going to be like at the end of time. Because this earth is not going to last. It wasn't designed to last. I know the environmentalists want to keep it around, but it's just not going to last. There's going to be an eternity, and the eternity is either going to be a new heaven and a new earth that God talks about at the end of Revelation, or it's going to be a lake of fire 
that he talks about at the end of Revelation. He says he's also the one who was dead has come back to life. It speaks to Jesus' humanity. It's not, he's not just God, but God the Son is also man, fully human. He lived on this earth. He died on the cross. He had his own tribulation. He died on the cross, not for his sin, but for our sin. He became our sin and took God's wrath on himself so we wouldn't have to. And so as this God-man, he transcends everything that's religious and spiritual and eternal. But he also transcends everything that happens on this earth. That he's in control of it. He's guiding it. He's allowing it. And because he rose himself from the dead, he can raise us from the dead. In fact, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 6.14. says, Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us. Talking about believers. He'll raise us up through his power. So there's confidence that God is going to raise us up no matter how we die. These in Smyrna were facing certain death. And Jesus wanted them to know that, and there's a purpose for why he was allowing it. But he says, I know that you're um, in tribulation. I know that you're in poverty. I know that there are people lying about you. And which is not an encouraging message, right? I mean, we would want to hear something different from Jesus. I would like to redefine God at this moment and say, no, God is not a God who would allow that. Which, by the way, Christians do that quite a bit. We, we don't like the way God says to do marriage. So, well, God, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy, so I'm going to leave my spouse. Well, no, that's not necessarily true. Yes, he wants you to be happy, but happy doing life his way and doing life his way is staying with your spouse. And, but there's other ways that we do that. But the point being is, Jesus knows what's going on. Why would Jesus sit and watch his people, his followers, experience tribulation, loss of jobs, people lying about them? Why would he allow that to go on? Why wouldn't he step in and say, no, this is not how it's going to be. We're going to, we're going to stop this. And again, he, he gives us the answer couple times in here. But let's, let's just look at their current situation. He says that they're in tribulation. It means to be oppressed. It means to be crushed beneath a weight. It's like the pressing down of grapes or the pressing down of balsam sap to smash whatever you want to get out of it. But this isn't a, this is a life issue. This is not tribulation because, oh, I, I didn't sleep well last night and so I woke up, you know, too tired and I really wanted to go through my day. It's not the, you know... I smashed my pinky. You can almost see probably out there. I smashed my pinky pretty bad, putting the floor down. And, you know, he's not talking about that. That's, that was tribulation right there. I don't mind saying that really hurt. Um, I cried. I, I'm just going to admit to you I cried a little bit. Anyways, but he's not talking about that. What he's talking about is outside forces crushing in based off of how it is that we're choosing to live that is different than the rest of the world. It's the crushing ridicule. And, and the harassment, the rejection by family and friends and co-workers, it's the loss of reputation, it's the, the loss of jobs. Because people are saying, I don't like the way you believe. And I'm going to make it painful for you because you believe that way. One of the laws back then is that you had to say, Caesar is Lord. You had to worship the dictator of Rome. And if you didn't, you got in trouble. It got worse, but you know, it was a bad thing if you didn't worship. Well, what's, 
So when Caesar said, hey, you need to live this way, then you would need to live the way he said it. Why? Because he's Lord. But the problem is Christians say, no, Jesus is Lord. I'm going to live life the way Jesus says to live. So what do the Christians do? Well, they could stand for what Jesus says and take whatever comes down the road. Or they could play the game, right? They, well, you know, I, yeah, I believe Jesus is Lord. Yeah, no, I believe that Caesar is Lord too. I believe it. And they can go back and forth, which is tiring, but maybe it'll stop the tribulation. Or just reject Jesus altogether. I mean, because, you know, just stop doing whatever it is that's bringing the pain. And so these guys had to make that choice. What, what would you choose? What are, what are you going to choose when you feel that pain? When you feel the rejection from family and friends? And maybe you already have. What's your response going to be? To continue and trust what Jesus says to do or to try to play the game? Or just reject Jesus and just say, you know, I want that earthly relationship is more important than a relationship with God. The, the uh, Christians in Michigan are going to have to make a decision because the Democrats in the House up there um, have put into play a law that says that if you intentionally use a pronoun of somebody, so if I say I want to be called she, and you intentionally call me a he, and you know I want to be called a she, but you keep calling me a he, when everybody can see that I'm a she, he, I'm getting confused myself, that that person can go to the authorities and you can get fined up to $10,000. So that's happening in Michigan. So what I'm saying is it's coming down the pike. How are we going to respond? Jesus also knows that they're poor. And he lets them remain poor, by the way. That word poor means to be destitute. It means to be dirt poor, extreme poverty. He says you're also spiritually rich. So here's one of the answers to why he's allowing this to happen. But they're, they're being crushed as a result of being more like Jesus Christ. So they're becoming spiritually rich, which means they're becoming spiritually mature, which becomes, means they're becoming more like Jesus Christ. They're thinking more like Jesus. They're responding more like Jesus. In other words, they're not beating people up. They're not going out as a bunch of Christians and looking for people who don't believe their way and go around and smack the snot out of them. They're not doing that. They're responding in love. They're responding the way Christ responded on the cross. And, and because of that, they're experiencing this crush. And so we know that's one reason why God wants this to happen, right? He wants us to grow spiritually. He wants us to become more like Jesus. He wants us to understand what it took for Jesus to go to the cross for us and for us to take the abuse on behalf of others so that we can then reflect back what Jesus was like and hopefully see them come to Christ themselves. This is the whole point of us being on earth. For those of us who place our faith in Christ, that's the only reason God keeps us here, for us to become more like Jesus. To be conformed to his image is how the, the Bible talks about it. These people were not... It wasn't just poor people coming to Christ. I'm sure there were some. But it was formerly poor people who were living the way Jesus wanted them to live. And because of that, they lost their jobs. Or they lost their business because people boycotted them. Or they lost the husband who was doing the work. Because back then it was, you know, 
men worked and women stayed home and made sure to, the business of the home was operating right. And so the husband's taken away and now the wife's left over with the kids. And so now what happens? Well, back then we know the church came around. A church family was the one who provided and took care of them. But the point is that they were dirt poor because they were doing life God's way. And God says, hey, listen, you doing it that way, you're come, becoming more like Christ. And now God didn't just leave them hanging, right? He provided through his church family and through other ways. But in the world's eyes, they were dirt poor. And not only was it Gentile friends and family that was crushing him, this was Jewish friends and family that were crushing him. In fact, he speaks specifically to the Jewish people who were slandering them. They were lying about the Christians, who they were, what they believed, what they did. These Jews were the ones who rejected Jesus. They continued on in Judaism, which is a man-made religion, some of the lies that went around about the first century church, so no doubt happened in, the, in uh, Smyrna as well. The lies going around that Christians were cannibals. And why would they say that? Communion. Because Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so they took that literally, and they said, oh, they're cannibals. Well, Jesus isn't around, so what they're doing is they're taking an innocent child, they're killing the child and eating it. You're like, they would believe that? Have you lived in this world? I mean, <laughs> what, what will people believe? Anything you put in front of their face long enough. So they believe that. They believe that they were immoral because Paul says, greet each other with a holy kiss. So they took it and ran with it. They were anti-family because one person would come to Christ, the other, person, other spouse wouldn't, and now there was division in the home. So they're anti-family. They were atheists. Well, because Jesus wasn't God, and they weren't worshiping their gods or Caesar. They were unpatriotic because they weren't worshiping the emperor. Now, it wasn't that the unbelievers thought those things were wrong because they were doing all those things. But they knew what Jesus taught. And then they were taking it and throwing it back on the Christians saying, see, you're not doing what Jesus said to do. When it was in fact they didn't understand what Jesus was teaching. And he calls these Jews being a part of a synagogue of Satan. Now today, we all go, oh, he, he said they're a synagogue of Satan. That's so mean, so harsh, right? I mean, people are all worked up nowadays by words. And all that means is that they're just working against what God's doing. Any of us could be in that position. It just happens that these particular Jews, he's pointing out as, hey, they're actually working against what God's trying to do. Supposedly the God that they're worshiping, by the way. And then he says, hey, there's a coming tribulation. So not only is all this happening, Jesus says there's going to be this coming tribulation. It's a 10-day period of, of devil-inspired increased persecution. I'm not even sure what that means, because obviously Satan inspires everything that goes on in an evil way in our world. Um, and so there's something extra going on here. So here's potentially what the extra is, part of it. I mentioned about Caesar is Lord before. Well, the Domitian... Um, the emperor at the time, he says, I'm going to make it a capital offense. If you don't bring me offerings in worship of me, then you will be killed. And so no doubt, there's a bunch of Christians, including some in Smyrna, that had decided, no, I'm not going to give offering to Domitian because I only give my offering to God, to Jesus. And so no doubt they were killed. So that could be part of that 10-day period um, of persecution. It could have been what happened to Polycarp that it was during that time where Polycarp was pulled out of the, uh, his house and, and burned at the stake. Whatever the case, 
Why would he do this? Why would Jesus allow this? Well, his second reason is this, for their testing. Now, testing means good or bad. It, it could be either one. And it depends on who's giving the testing. Well, in this case, it's Jesus allowing Satan to do what he's going to do. So in that sense, it's good. It's crushing them, not only to bring out spiritual growth, but also to prove who's truly a follower of Jesus Christ. Because the one who's truly following Jesus Christ, those are going to be the ones who are, are faithful. Jesus used this word tribulation in his uh, parable about sowing the seed. Right, the, the seed is the gospel, and he sows it on the soil, and the soil is the condition of a person's heart, and one of them is called a rocky soil. And he says this, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they heard their word, this, this message about God's salvation through faith in Jesus, immediately receive it. So it looks like, whoa, they've accepted it. This is awesome. But then, and they have no firm root in themselves, but it never really got in and sunk into and grabbed hold of their heart, but are only temporary, you know, so they didn't, they didn't truly believe it. Now, how do we know that? Well, then when affliction, which is the same word for tribulation in Revelation 2.10, or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. So there are some, there's some people who have been, who placed their faith, who said they placed their faith in Christ years ago, but they haven't really experienced any kind of tribulation. We're going to get to a point in their life where they're going to experience tribulation. Now we're really going to know, was that decision real or not, is what we're being told here. This testing is what proves um, where a person stands. Now, doesn't prove it to God, because God already knows. It proves it to us. It, it shows us who are we trusting in? What are we trusting in? And so those of us who place our faith in Christ, when tribulation happens, that testing is going to show us and confirm in our hearts, yeah, I'm trusting, I'm trusting Christ. How? Because we're going to trust Christ. We're going to do life the way God says to do it. We're going to follow the commands that Jesus talks about here in a little bit. And, and not only that, but unbelievers are going to see it. They're going to take notice. And just like we saw Jesus on the cross and we understood what he did for us, and that drew us to him for salvation. The way we, we respond will hopefully cause them to look at us and we can tell them about Jesus. Well, he, he ends with this commands, or gets towards the end here with his commands. He said, first of all, do not fear. Now, fear is, fear is a natural response. As we, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm an, I'm an angel, um, Figuratively speaking, he's writing to the angel of these different churches. The angel is the pastor. So if he was a right, if Jesus was to write us a letter, it would come to me. And so I read these a little bit differently, maybe than you do, because Polycarp was the pastor of that church eventually, and Polycarp was lit on fire. If something does come down the pike for us, which it's going to at some point, and if I'm still on this earth, there's a really good chance that I'm not going to be the one up here talking anymore. And you're going to come visit me in jail. And again, because that's, that's what's happening in our, in our world like it was happening back in the first century. So we, we don't have to fear. Why? Because Jesus is God. He's the one in control. He's the one working this out. He's already told us how it ends. And so we don't have to fear, even if it brings us to the point of death. Why do we have to fear death? Because we get to go to heaven. And when I say heaven, it's a new heaven and a new earth that Revelation 21 and 22 talk about. And we don't have to fear because persecution, it, that crush on us, proves that we are trusting in Christ. And then we are to be faithful. 
This is a present middle imperative. It means keep on being faithful. Keep doing whatever it is that you've been doing. Keep doing the very thing. Get this. Keep doing the very thing that's causing the tribulation in your life. Now again, I'd like to redefine God at this moment if I can. Give me a little time out. Can we redefine God? I can't believe that a God would be so unloving as to make me go through tribulation. But I have to put that aside and say, no, I'm going to trust the God of the Bible who says, no, he's going to allow me to go through tribulation so that I grow spiritually and I can even prove to myself, I want to put it that way, that I truly have trusted in Jesus Christ. And so we want to be faithful. The natural thing is to stop doing it so that persecution stops, tribulation stops. Now, here's a question, though. Faithful to what? What did the New Testament church, what were they doing? What was the church in Smyrna doing that was causing them to be persecuted, to have tribulation? They were not worshiping the way the world worships. They were worshiping the God of the Bible. They were doing life God's way. They were loving people sacrificially. They were caring about even the people who were causing the tribulation. They weren't beating on them. They were loving them and caring about them and trying to bring some spiritual impact into their life. And they took the abuse over and over and over and over again, just like Jesus did for them. And I put up here at the bottom, we talk about this a lot. In the New Testament, as you read through it, they continued to spend time with God and His Word. They continued to worship weekly with their church family. They continued to serve their church family. And they continued to share Christ with others, including the people who were causing them harm. Because that's what Jesus would have done. They didn't get on Facebook. They didn't get up on social media. They didn't start blasting people. They didn't start making fun of people. They didn't start making those people feel bad in the sense of, you know, you're useless, that you're, you're unworthy of God's love. No, Jesus died for those same people. Just like he died for you and me. Yeah, they're sinning. Yeah, so do we. And so we need to make that spiritual impact to be faithful, continue doing that. Our mission never changes. And then he ends with a couple of promises. And it's interesting, whenever you read through the New Testament and it talks about persecution, it almost always has this thing about, hey, I know you're being persecuted, but remember what we have. Remember what our eternity is. Remember that we're going to spend eternity in the presence of God in a new heaven and a new earth. We only live on this earth for a short period of time. We can handle the pain for a short period of time, knowing that we're going to spend eternity in heaven. And we're supposed to think about it. We're supposed to know that. We're supposed to hang on to that. And so Jesus gives us two promises here connected. The first one is that you'll receive the crown of life. Those who are faithful believers, they will receive the crown of life. It's, it's probably better translated the crown that is life. Talking about eternal life. Again, Jesus is the one who gives us life. He's the one who died and came back to life to give us eternal life. And so he's saying, listen, I'm going to give that to you because true believers, we have ears and we hear, which means we obey. And so he says, the proof of that is that you're going to go through tribulation and you're going to spend eternity in heaven with him. He said, overcomers won't be hurt by the second death. That this, and this is the final death in the lake of fire. We talk about hell a lot, but there's just another step that really the Bible talks about. And the overcomer, that word means a, a lifestyle of obedience. 
a lifestyle that determines that from this point forward, I'm going to do life the way God calls me to do, no matter what happens, even if it brings death. And again, first century, and even Christians around the world today are being killed for their faith. Just read up on things going on in China and Africa. He says they will not. In the Greek, this is an emphasized negative, which means this absolutely cannot happen. You will not be part of the second death. So what is the second death? Well, we're going to jump all the way to the end of Revelation. And he says this, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that's the book that contains all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So anybody who's rejected God's offer of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, then the end is they need to be judged for that, for that sin, for that crime. But those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, which then is seen by us trusting Christ in the midst of tribulation, when we die, however we die, we spend eternity in a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21 and 22. But as I said at the beginning, as our society progresses downward, true believers will look more and more extreme. And so it's important for us to hear this message and, and to respond to it. So how can we face our coming persecution? Whatever that might be coming down our path. Will we be fearless? Will we be faithful to that? How can we do this? So I'm, so I'm going to close with just three words this morning. That our takeaway today needs to be that we commit, that we prepare, and that we respond. By commit, I mean this. That we commit ourselves right here, right now, today, to obey Jesus Christ no matter what might come. We have to make a point in time where we say, no, I'm going to make this determination. I'm not going to waffle back and forth. I'm not going to say one thing and do another. No, I'm going to do it God's way from this point forward no matter what might happen. I've got reports. been just looking through. I just flipped through uh, the internet. And report after report after report after report after report. And Hollywood influencers and uh, social media influencers and politicians. People just crushing down on what we believe God wants for our world and for how he wants us to live live our lives and, and to experience the best in life that we could have. And it's all coming down and crushing upon us because the world doesn't want to hear it. So we need to make a commitment. Secondly, we need to be prepared we need to learn what's happening and how to respond. Now, we don't get into politics a lot, and I know a lot of these issues are becoming political issues, so it makes it kind of difficult. But uh, what I'm saying is this. We get a lot of news information, and it's skewed in one direction. And so I'm just challenging you. Find some conservative political news agencies and media sites and listen to those. Get a balance. Don't just get it from one source. Get it from several. And then you figure out. And look at what's happening and say, okay, who's, who's true? There's a couple books I would encourage you to read. I've read the first one there, Christianity and Wokeness by Owen Strachan. And I'm currently reading No Reason to Hide by uh, Erwin Lutzer. I'd encourage you to get those books and read them. And they come from a Christian perspective and looking at things and how things are going. And the third thing is this. Respond. Respond to what's going on. Be faithful to what Jesus called us to do. Obey him. Do what he says to do in your marriage, in your family, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your friends, with your family. Love those who are believing society's lies. 
because they are damaging their lives. They're destroying their life. Stories of people who are trying to detransition after transitioning because of the pain that they've endured and now have to go back and how it didn't, it didn't take care of their anxiety. It didn't take care of their mental health. It made it worse. Read those stories. You don't hear about them. Why? Because those are being censored. Love those who are going through this. I wouldn't say go find 10 people who are going through this and talk to them. You have friends and family in your life who are dealing with this. Get together with them. Find out what's going on. Why are they thinking this way? Why are they feeling this way? Share with them. There's a different way of experiencing life. Do it on a one-on-one, but love those who are going through those things. Stand up for what's right. I'm just going to give you one more political thing, and that's this. November 7th, uh, Planned Parenthood and ACLU and some other uh, abortion rights activists are trying to get uh, a constitutional change in Ohio's constitution for there to be abortion up to birth. They wanted a constitutional right. So, right now, if things stay the same, only 51%, they only need a 51% um, approval of that to make it a constitutional right. So on August 8th, there's a vote that's going to be in place um, where it makes that a 60%. Um, they need to get two-thirds of a majority in order to pass that. Um, and so, uh, so vote on August 8th. We would encourage you to do that if you're thinking that that shouldn't happen. And then November 7th, um, make sure you vote then too if you don't think that should happen. We believe life is sacred. We believe God created all, that all are equal before him that all have sinned before him, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sin, and they could have a restored relationship with him, forgiveness of their sin, and a future with him. But we're the ones who need to let them know that. That's our responsibility, our mission. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this.